Thank you, Luke. I asked Luke to lead that song for a couple of reasons. I just love the song. But it expresses the goal that I have today. It's to put those ancient words in front of us so that they might change us. Make us into something better. And that's my goal, and I hope that we can accomplish that goal together. I call our study today, Self-Care. Hopefully that will make sense to you after we're through. We're going to start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 where the apostle says, Examine yourself. Now I understand it's easier to see other people than it is ourselves. And I think the apostle understands that too. That's why he says to examine yourself. And what we're asking you to do today is to look inward. Not outward, but to look inward at yourself. Then he says, what we're looking for is whether ye be in the faith. That's why we're looking inward. We want to see where we're at. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. So I want to focus on that last phrase a little bit. Do we understand what a reprobate is? I mean, we use that word a certain way. Usually flippantly, we'll ask, tell somebody, well, you're just being an old reprobate, Right? Do you know what he's trying to communicate to us? We're going to have a test one day, and he's, this phrase literally means you flunked the test. Now, I know I'm, I don't want to go back to school. I hate tests, right? But the beautiful thing about this test is we have the answer book right here. We have the answers to the test. And He's telling us, He's pleading with us, please look inwardly and compare yourselves to the answer book and change the things that need to be changed. Okay? 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, the Bible says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him? Now, my wife knows me pretty well. She knows what's in here pretty well, but not entirely. Some of the rest of you, you've known me all of my 59 years, and you know me pretty well. But his point is, when it comes to the end of the day, you know what's in there. And that's what we've got to look at, people. Because I'm the only one that really knows what's in there. As we think about what's in here, I want us to consider what God wants for us. What He wants us to have in here. He wants us to be joyful. 
He wants us to be content, confident, strong, growing, and fruitful or productive. That's what God wants for each and every one of us that are here today. And not only is that what God wants for us, God has provided for us to be able to accomplish those things in our life at a very high level. The problem is we have an enemy. We have an adversary. John 10 and verse 10, this is what our adversary wants. The thief, talking about the devil, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what he wants. That's what our adversary wants. But Jesus goes on to say, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Okay, so we have this contrast. We have these things that God wants for us and that God provides for us. If we'll embrace those ancient words and we'll do the things that God has asked us to do, we can have those things. We can be this way. If we reject that, by default, the devil wins. And we're going to be joyless. We're going to be dissatisfied and frustrated with life and discouraged. We're going to be exhausted. I'm just too tired to do that. Right? And we're going to be miserable. Now, folks... The devil don't have to keep us out of church to win. That's one way he does it. He keeps us from never being a part of the church. But the other thing he does is he makes us like that, and we let him. And he wins. We come and sit in the pew, but if that's what we are, the devil has won. And here's my goal today. First of all, if that's what we are, we've got to see it. We've got to recognize it. We've got to know where it came from. And we've got to change it. And we've got to go from there to there. That's my goal for you and for me. But if we can't see it, if we don't recognize it, it's never going to change, is it? It's just going to stay like this. And the devil has won. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus uses this illustration. Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the moat that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Now there's a lot of lessons here, but I want us to focus on one thing. We need to get ourselves right so that we can help others. That's what we want to do. It's not about me. It's about being able to help somebody else. 
Now, there's another point I want to make about these verses. And I believe he's telling us what our attitude ought to be about my problem compared to your problem. When I've recognized my problem, I need to recognize that it's a beam. It's a problem. And when I'm trying to help somebody else, we need to treat their problem like a moat. And what he says is if you take care of that beam that's in your eye, then you can see clearly to help somebody else. And that ultimately, I hope, is where we want to be. At that place where we can see clearly to help somebody else. Now, I know that we live in a world that's obsessed, absolutely obsessed, with self and with selfishness. It is all about me out there in the world. But that's in a physical sense. First of all, you, what you get out there in the world, people are not at pleading for you to look inwardly. They're talking about what's out there and how it affects me in a physical sense. And in that, from that perspective, from a spiritual perspective, there's some very real danger in becoming so outwardly focused that we neglect our own spiritual health, and that's not good for anybody. That's not good for us, and it keeps us from being able to help anyone else. So when we talk about self-care today, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking care of the spiritual. And we've got to focus on that. We've got to give that some attention and some energy, or it's just going to go the way that Satan wants it to go. So I want to look at some specific things that, that I think are very real dangers when it comes to our ability to grow and prosper in a spiritual sense, okay? As I said, I want us to move from where the devil wants us to the place where God wants us. And that's what these different things are going to be about that we look at this morning. The first one I want to talk about is arrogance. Arrogance. I said earlier, the only way we're going to ever make any changes in our life is if we recognize what the truth is. The only way we're going to ever get that beam out of our eye is if we'll step back far enough to actually see that it is a beam. And arrogance keeps us from ever doing that. We'll never see the truth when we're arrogant. We have these verses in Revelation 3, and these are Christian people, folks. He's talking to the church. I think this is Thyatira, but you can go look and you can correct me later. But this is the message to the congregation at that place. Because thou sayest, I am rich. Do you reckon they were rich? Reckon they prospered? I think they were. I think they were. 
and increased with goods. Sound familiar? And have need of nothing. We've got what we need. Then he says, what you don't know is that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You don't have anything that you need that's important. But they couldn't see it. They were blind. And I believe they were blinded by their arrogance. And that's what arrogance does to us. We'll never see the truth when we're arrogant. And our challenge is not when we're brought low, but when things are good. And what we forget, apparently, is I don't care how good things are, you desperately need God. I don't care how bad things are, you desperately need God. But when things are good, when I'm rich and increased with goods, specifically in this context, that's when we forget. All that good stuff we've got came from God. And we forget who to give glory for. Don't be arrogant. That's the message. When things are good, glorify God. When things are bad, glorify God. Don't be arrogant. There's some different things we're arrogant about. Thus saith the Lord in Jeremiah 9, 23, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. You feel pretty sharp today, like you got a lot of wisdom? I hope you do. I hope you're the wisest person in the room. But he says don't glory in that. You know why? It's a gift from God. If you are the wisest person in the room, glorify God. Let the mighty man, let not, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. You know, that's passed me by. I, I don't have much strength anymore. But when you're young and strong, it's pretty easy to be arrogant about that. And I know there's other kinds of strength other than physical strength. But whatever kind of strength we've got, we got it from God, and we need to glorify Him with it and not be arrogant about it. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. God has desired to have a relationship with us. That's what we need to glory in. Not whatever gifts we may or may not have received from Him. That's not why we have value. That's not why we're important to God, because we're wise or strong or rich. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. 
We have our gifts from God. We need to remember that and never be arrogant about those things. We need to be clothed with humility, as Peter says. We need to wear humility like we would a suit of clothes. And it doesn't matter how talented or gifted or rich or any of those other things that we are when we wear humility. That's the way we glorify God. And I said earlier, God gives us what we need to know what it is we're supposed to do. There's the answer. It's right there. Be humble. I want to talk about temptation momentarily, and, or for a moment. And I want, I want to look at this maybe a little, little differently than I have at other times. But I want to look at this from the perspective of a mature Christian. And what I mean by that is a Christian that's had some level of success in fighting some of these battles. As we go along in life, we know the devil never gives up. He never quits trying, right? But we fight these battles and with God's help, we win some of these battles with temptation. But you know what happens to us? All too often when we begin to have some success, don't be arrogant because that's what happens to us. We become confident in our ability to fight these battles. We forget how desperately we need God and the devil starts winning. We know in Galatians 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. Do we see the contrast here? We have a Christian that is struggling with a sin that has overcome them. And Paul says, You that are spiritual... You need to go help them. So who is it that's spiritual? That's the person that's had some level of spiritual success, right? That's who I'm talking about today. And what does he say to them? Be careful. You be careful. We're never past temptation. Just going to throw an example out for you. We've got a person that's struggling with pornography. We need to help that person. Those that are spiritual need to help that person. Don't think you're immune to the temptation. Don't think you're immune to the temptation. That's his point. Consider yourself. And that's just one example of thousands we can 
think about. We need to be helping one another. We absolutely do. But you've got to check yourself. Self-care. You've got to take care of yourself. Remember in Proverbs 7? This is a story about a young man that gives in to the temptation of a harlot. The Bible here describes it as being like an ox led to slaughter. Very important lessons that we need to learn from Proverbs chapter 7. But I want to notice these verses. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Are we getting the message, guys? We're not immune to temptation. I don't care how strong you are. We need God to help us overcome temptation. Whatever it is, and at whatever stage in life we are. And at whatever stage in our Christian life we are. Jesus said here in Matthew 26 to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. That's our solution for the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak and as long as we're in the flesh we're subject to temptation and the devil never quits looking for a way to get in. I want to talk about discouragement for a little bit. It's part of life. But discouragement is all about expectation. We develop expectations of God, of our spouse, of our church family, of life. We have expectations. We think things are supposed to be a certain way. Right? I don't care who you are. Sometimes these expectations may be, may be negative expectations. But we all have expectations of life. And when those expectations are not met, we're disappointed, aren't we? Part of our problem with our expectations is that we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. And we know what 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 says. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So we look at other people and whether it's real or imagined, we think they've got it better and we develop, have developed this expectation that I ought to have the same thing that so-and-so ought to, that they have 
And I'm not, I'm not getting that, whether it's financially or spiritually or in my family or what, whatever part of life you want to look at. If you're comparing yourself to somebody else, that's why he says it's not wise. You're going to be disappointed and discouraged. And this is the part of the equation that we forget. God's the one that has made us different. He's the one that has given us different gifts. He's given us different opportunities. Right? All of that comes from God. For who maketh thee to differ from another in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7? Who made us different? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive. Do you have something that, that God didn't give you? What about your looks? What about how tall you are? Your level of wisdom, knowledge... Your finances, whatever. Do you have something that God didn't give you? And that's His point. Since it came from God, instead of glorifying me, we're going to glorify God. Instead of being discouraged that somebody else has something that I want and that I think I need, I'm going to take what I have that God gave me and glorify Him and not be discouraged. You know, it's like we just read Matthew 26 and 41. The problem with discouragement is the flesh is weak. We're subject to that temptation. It's just part of living. It's what sin brought into the world is being discouraged. But we cannot allow ourselves to be overcome by discouragement. In Isaiah 49 and verse 4, the prophet said, Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. He was delivering God's message to God's people. And he says, I wasted my time. That's what he says. Did he? Did he waste his time and his energy delivered? delivering God's message to His people? Was it a waste of time? That's the way He felt. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. We don't need to get discouraged. And we don't need to feel like the things that we do for God are in vain because they're never in vain. <clears throat> First Corinthians three 
we're well familiar with these verses. But the apostle says, I have planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Now you would think a guy that's been farming for 40 years would get it, right? I don't. I develop expectation every year based on what that crop looks like and what I think it ought to be. And I can tell you just nearly without fail, every single time I'm disappointed. Because I forgot that right there. And I've known that verse as long as I've been farming. And that is so important. The farming thing's irrelevant, but that right there is so important. I'm sorry, I got chastised for pointing at the back. That right there is so important. And it doesn't matter if you're growing cotton or a garden or a family or yourself or a church. We plant, we water. God gives the increase. Why are we disappointed when the increase is not our responsibility to begin with? Do your work and be thankful that God blesses it and glorify Him for it. We take responsibility for the increase, y'all. And whether it's good or bad, we're not supposed to be doing that. We give God the glory for the increase. Philippians 2 and 16 says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And when we look at the results of our labor, when we've planted and we've watered, and we're disappointed, we're messing up, people. It's not in vain. When you're teaching your kids the truth, you're teaching your kids to love the Lord, whether they embrace that or not, it's not in vain. It's not about the results. It's about planting and watering. When you've got a personal struggle with a sin and you're not getting the results you want and you're disappointed, guess who's winning? You've got to keep planting and watering. You've got to keep working on that problem. You've got to be, keep fighting the fight. And the results will come. They eventually will come. God's the one that gives the increase. And it's not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. So, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Don't get swallowed up with discouragement.
I think this is one of the biggest threats to our Christianity worldliness. And I think it's the hardest, sometimes one of the hardest things there is for us to see clearly. 1 John 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world. Don't love this world. Neither the things that are in the world. So if I ask you today, if I ask you today, what, is, what do you love? What do you love? Well, I can say lots of things, probably with all, way too much honesty. But we're not supposed to be loving things, folks. That's not going to get us where we want to be. It's not going to get us in that column that where God wants us to be. Loving things is not helping us. Do you see that last phrase? The love of the Father is not in Him? I don't know why. I, that scared me to death when I saw that the other day. Philippians 3, verse 18, the Bible says, For many walk... He's talking about Christian people here, I believe. And he says, They walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. This had brought Paul to tears. That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. We have Christian people that Paul says are enemies of of the cross of Christ. What brought them to that place? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. You remember a while ago we talked about the things we should glory in? He says they were glorying in things to their shame. Their God was their belly. He's talking about their appetite, whether it was for food, pleasure, things. Their appetite for things. The parable of the sower, Mark 9, 4, verse 19, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Now remember, remember the words of the song we sang, what's going to change us? It's God's word. That's what's going to change us. Changes you and changes me. But our worldliness, our desire and our love for things in this world Choke the Word. You're not growing? You're not growing as a Christian? Is that why? 
Is that why? Can you be honest with yourself? Are you going to say, well, there's nothing wrong with my love for my cars, my love for farms, houses. Oh, I love movies. Whatever. Put whatever you want to on the list. Are you unfruitful? You've got to be honest. I've got to be honest. This is what happened to Demas. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 and 10, He hath forsaken me. Why? It's what Jesus said. He loved this present world. And that's the path we're on, folks. If we don't get off of it. Hebrews 13 and verse 5, Keep your life free from love of money, or things, if you will. And be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's going to take care of us. And for some reason, we develop the mentality that if I can put enough money in the bank, or if I can own enough farmland, or if I have a big enough IRA, then I can take care of myself. Right? That's what he's talking about. I don't care how many billions you put together. God's the one that's going to take care of us. I want to wrap up here with some things that I think we tend to neglect sometimes. And I want to say, I want to emphasize this first thing. I recognize that we're all Christians first. But part of being Christian is having these other relationships and these other responsibilities. And one of the things that I think challenges us sometimes in this world is we neglect some of these relationships. We don't want to neglect ourselves. We're all an individual. You have individual needs. We've talked about hopefully some of those spiritual things that you've been able to take a look at today. That's one individual thing that we have to do and that we need to do from time to time. Don't neglect that. You know, there may be some physical things that you need to take the time to take care of. Don't neglect that. Most of us have a marriage. Don't neglect that. It's the most important 
earthly relationship that you have. And we forget that till it's gone. Don't neglect it. I, I see people say, well, I've got to focus on my children. Good. I, I want you to focus on your children. Don't neglect your marriage. I hear people say, I, I've got a job I have to do. I want you to do your job. Don't neglect your marriage. Karen and I have been married 40 years. I, I just I can't believe that. I'm not even 40. <laughs> you know what happens when you've been married 40 years? It's pretty easy to take that for granted. Pretty easy. And maybe that's a blessing. I, I hope she takes me for granted in some ways. The problem is... The devil's right there waiting at every turn. And he'll destroy a 40-year marriage just like he will one that's one year old or less. Don't let it happen. One of the most disappointing things we see that happens to us in life is divorce. And it don't just happen overnight, does it? And sometimes it happens to people that have been married a long time. We had a neighbor a few years ago. He come home one evening and his wife's gone for good. He was surprised. But you know what? He shouldn't have been. This thing didn't happen overnight. It happened because one or probably both of them neglected their marriage. Don't do that. We know what the Bible says. We'll look at a verse here in a minute. But I don't think I have to tell you what the Bible says. We have responsibilities as parents, as grandparents. We have work responsibilities, those things are all very legitimate and they do not need to be neglected. Matthew 14 and verse 23, we have this from Jesus. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. I really like this verse because... I like to be alone. When I'm stressed, that's what I want. And I know other people are the complete opposite of that. I'm not saying there's right or wrong here. I'm just telling you that Jesus wanted to be alone with God. He was taking care of Himself. Now, Jesus was all about helping others, but He took care of Himself, I believe, right there.
1 Peter 3 and 7, Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Do you see what happens when we don't neglect our marriage? Your prayers are heard. If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 1 Timothy 5 and 8. You know, I think we typically look at that and think about that being a financial provision. And I think that's part of it. But our house needs more than financial provision, guys. It needs spiritual leadership. We need to be a good example. We need to lead. We need to provide all of those things. Don't neglect that. And as we look at life at the end of it, we got all of these various responsibilities. We, we got to find the right balance. And if I could sum up any sermon or every sermon I've ever given, I could probably read these same verses because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to balance our life in the appropriate way that glorifies God and gets the job done. And he said unto them, Come yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. We have to have some leisure. That's part of the flesh. But if that becomes the sole purpose of our life, our life is out of balance. Philippians 4 and verse 5, the Bible says to let your moderation be known unto all men. We've got to be moderate when it comes to leisure. We've got to be moderate when it comes to work. We've got to be moderate in these things and balance our life in a way that glorifies God. And finally, in Colossians 1 and verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I hope we've been able to do that in some small measure today. But please take the things we've talked about and give them some attention. And be honest as you look inward. And let's, let's change the things that need to be changed so that we can be fruitful and increase in knowledge. The lesson is yours. Never want to close without offering the invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. And the church is here to serve. If you've been taught the gospel and wish to obey in baptism, we want to give you the opportunity to come forward and let us help you take care of that this morning. If you need the prayers of the church for some spiritual battle that you're facing, we want to help you with that as well. Please, one or more of either class come and sit on the front as we stand and sing.